Hello, welcome to the LifeBridge podcast. We exist to practice the way of Jesus, participating in God's kingdom coming in Dover as it is in heaven. My name is Tyler Saldana and I'm the pastor of our church community. We are so grateful that you're checking out our church's podcast. We pray that the Spirit uses this podcast to encourage you in your following of Jesus. Naaman, if we just go back to verse 1, it's in, and this is, uh, I believe, NIV. It says, Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded, because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. <clears throat> we'll get back to that. But um, Naaman was the commander of this army, right? And it, and it says here, he was a great man in the sight of his master, and it says, through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. And, and there, are just, there are a couple of takeaways from right there, there that I want to start with. And the first is that God gave victory to Aram. And what, 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 what I get from that is God cares about history. And, and I say that because there are, there are people today who consider themselves to be Christians. But what they believe is that God founded this universe. And the day that he founded it, he set the law of, of physics. And since that time, history has proceeded like a wind-up toy. Like God just set that thing out and let it play, it play its own role. And it's, it, it's clear here that God had given victory to Aram. God played a role in history then, and God plays a role in history today. And, and this was Aram. This was a, this was a, a country that didn't, didn't, didn't recognize that God was real, and yet he still gave them victory. So for some reason, God used the nation of Aram, which we would consider to be a godless nation, and a godless man in Nahum to play a role in history. I just think that's fascinating to me because we, we think about things across the globe, we think about little things, and we think about, well, that, that, escapes God's, that escapes God's plan or that escapes God's view. Nothing escapes God's view, and he uses people that, that don't even realize they're being used. And then also from that, that one verse, it says he was a mighty man of valor. He was a valiant soldier, and that's a compliment. Like, there's no way to say that wasn't a compliment. Here's a guy who does not recognize who God is, but God says right now that, that he is a great man. And then it goes on but he was a leper. Now, in, in, in Pastor Tyler's version, it does not say that it was a leper. He was a leper, right? It says he has a skin disease. In biblical times, when they use the term leprosy, typically it is meant to refer to a skin disease, like that version says. Um, now, in this case, I truly believe that it was leprosy. And the reason I say that is, is that it is hard to believe that this entire story came about because he wanted cured of acne, Right? Like, it's just hard, hard to think about another. There is very few other skin diseases. If you saw Silas when he walked out of here, my, my son has, has bites up and down his legs. That looks, that looks terrible, but I don't think that we're going to go to another country and seek a prophet to heal that. I truly believe this is leprosy. But the term leprosy, like I said, it, it refers to multiple skin diseases. But leprosy itself, that disease that today we call leprosy, it is a long-term debilitating ultimately fatal disease. None of us here have probably ever seen leprosy. I've, I've, been, a, I've been a physician for almost 20 years. I've never, I've never seen leprosy. Um, and as it progresses, people are disfigured and they are crippled because what happens is your nerves are killed. And so as your nerves are killed, you no longer feel things. Um, it's if you've ever, if you've known a diabetic who's had diabetes for a long time, they lose that feeling in their feet. And it is not unusual for a diabetic to come in and see me who has stepped on a nail and did not realize it until they couldn't take their shoe off. And they realize they've got a nail that is actually nailing their shoe to their foot. We see that. Well, it's like that in leprosy, except that it's not just the feet. It's the hands, it's the ears, it's the nose, it's every part of their peripheral, of, of their skin. 
and just bit by bit, it wears them down. Because I'm a doctor, I get geeky, and I, get, I really get into this stuff, so I'm going to go on here. So leprosy <clears throat> is known as Hansen's disease. It is named after Gerhard Hansen because he identified the germ that causes it, and that germ is Mycobacterium leprae. And if you ever cannot sleep at night, look at the Wikipedia entry for Mycobacterium because it's kind of interesting, but it gets on really long-winded. Leprosy is spread through direct contact. It's th- spread through close contact with somebody who has leprosy, but it's not spread really well. It's not, it's not contagious like we think of contagious. It's not like COVID. If you've got leprosy today, you can go to school, uh, you can go to work, and you can live with your family. It takes a lot to spread it. And furthermore, in the 1980s, just for some idea, in the 1980s, there were 5.2 million people across the globe with leprosy. Today, there are about 200,000 cases a year. So it's getting more and more rare, and it is curable. There are about three different antibiotics that we use to treat it today. They're very rare. I've never used them. We really don't use them for anything but leprosy. And so, and, and so we just don't, we just, it's not like penicillin or Keflex that you've probably been on. But Naaman was a leper, right? And um, Naaman, a lot of sources speculate that, that this was a secret, that at that time, nobody else other than Naaman and his family and the king of Arm knew that he was a leper because if it were known, all of his fame, all of his valor, all of his power would be gone before he was ever crippled because, because it was stigmatizing. And that is the way that visual illnesses are, right? You know, when you can, there's something about seeing something. If I showed you a picture of somebody with COVID, you might know they were sick, but you don't know they had bad COVID. But if you see a picture of leprosy, you know there's something wrong there. And, and it's, it's like that with all, all visual diseases. If somebody comes into the, into the emergency department and they see me and they've got this really horrible thing on their skin, and I'm in there talking to them, a lot of times they'll say, hey, you've probably never seen anything like that. And I always say, no, I have. It's not that bad. And then I walk out of there, and I, I can't eat lunch. You know, it's, it's something like that. The only thing that comes close to that is, is diseases that you can smell, which are their own, their own issue. But then if we go through verses 2 through 4, it says, now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, she, and she served Naaman's wife, she said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. So this girl who'd been taken captive, this girl who'd been kidnapped from her family, she made the suggestion to Naaman of how he could live, of how he could be healed, because again, leprosy is a death sentence. She was taken from her home. She was separated from her family. She was robbed of all of her hopes, all of her dreams, all of the plans that she and her family had her life. She speaks words of life to this man. Um, and that's a reminder to us. This is the ultimate bloom where you're planted circumstance. A reminder that even in less than ideal circumstances, we are still to be a light for God. The prophet that she references is Elisha. Elisha was one of the major prophets of the Old Testament. He had been a student of Elijah, and he lived in Israel. That is the northern, the northern kingdom that, is, that the original nation of Israel had split into. Um, the northern kingdom, Israel, it, it just, it, it, it was getting away from God. Its kings didn't follow God, and at that time, really, Elisha was one of, the la- one of the last lights for God left in the north. And then in verses 5 through 8, it goes on, By all means go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter, I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? 
Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me? When Elisha heard the man of God, I'm sorry, when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. All right, so Naaman goes to his, goes to his own king, King, uh, king Ben-Hadad II, and he tells him about Elisha. He says, Elisha, I have been told, can heal me. And the king responds. He sends Naaman with this letter to the king of Israel, and he sends gold and silver and clothing. And, and the, the estimated value of that, if, for what it's worth, is, was in several millions of dollars. Ben-Hadad requested in this letter that the Israelite king heal Naaman, not, not Elisha, but the Israelite king, and that king, Jehoram, he responded with anger and helplessness, right? He realizes there's nothing he can do to heal leprosy. He is a king, and he's, he's not just that. He's also a king who strayed from the Lord. He thought that Syria's king wanted to use this as an excuse for war, uh, kind, of, kind of along the things that we saw coming out of the Ukraine earlier this year. And this illustrates how far Israel had slid by this time. It does not occur to Jehoram that a mighty prophet was nearby. And, and that's a reminder to us that so many times, I personally, I know it's, I know it's we, but I, I personally forget that the God of the universe is, is, is simply a prayer way. It is, is present with us. About two weeks ago, um, we, had, we had an inspection. We call them surveys of the hospital. If you're familiar with healthcare, uh, you know that there are certifying bodies out there. That they will come to the hospital, and they will inspect the hospital, and they will, they will ensure to the government, to Medicare and Medicaid, and to private insurers that hospitals can meet the standard of care to care for specific diseases. And we are a stroke center at our hospital, and I'm the stroke director, so I'm ultimately responsible for the treatment of stroke at the hospital, and we were being surveyed for our stroke care. And I was out of sorts. I wasn't sleeping, um, I was obsessed about it, uh, I was worried. And I realized as I was preparing this message that about two days before the survey, I had not prayed a single time about the survey. It it didn't even occur to me, and it's not that I don't pray, I pray. Um, it's that when I pray, I tend, to, I tend to pray about things that we all pray about, family and spiritual issues and health. And I almost always forget that the God of the universe also happens to be the God of my professional life. Um, and I was, I was humbled when it, as I was reading this and realized it was, I, was, I was convicted. And then it goes on, verses 9 through 14. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more than when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. So Naaman goes to Elisha's house. He goes to his door. He's got got his chariots and his horses and his servants. And he's probably got all of the, the gold and silver they brought. Elisha doesn't go to the door. Elisha sent his servant while Elisha presumably sat down and watched football. He, he, and this had you have hurt Naaman's pride, right? Naaman was humbled right now. Naaman was this great, powerful general. He was one of the most powerful men in the ancient world, and he has been reduced to taking a suggestion from a servant. 
And what was he told to do? He was told to wash seven times in the Jordan River. And, and Naaman, it says right there, Naaman's idea of what would happen was different, right? Naaman said he, he thought Elisha was going to wave his hands. He was going to call on God to heal him. And that was probably a lot more appealing than being told to go dunk in a dirty river. And that, is a, there's a, that was a real issue because the Jordan, the Jordan River, as historically important as it is, is a muddy, dirty river. Still, thousands of people go there every year to be baptized, and every first-hand report I've ever heard is that it's, it's, it's horrible. There are catfish in it. If you, throw, if you throw bread into that, giant catfish come up and eat the bread. And if you go in there to be baptized, fish that you can't even see are constantly bumping into you as you, as you get baptized. I don't like being in a river where I can't see what's around me. Whether or not there's gators or whatever, I just don't want to be in that. And, and that's kind of the bigger issue here, too. This takes us to a bigger issue because just like the rest of the Old Testament, this is a picture. This is a picture of what's to come. The entire Old Testament can be summed up in, in, in the phrase, Jesus is coming, right? It's all about what Jesus is going to do for us. This is a historical illustration. Naaman had leprosy. Naaman had to be cured. But it's, it's a bigger picture issue because Naaman had leprosy and he needed healing. But leprosy itself is a picture of sin, um, Leprosy starts out as an internal issue, as an issue that you can't see, just like sin. Sin starts inside of us. And as sin subtly works its way through us, suddenly we can't hide it. Just like leprosy, those around us can see what sin is doing to us, just like leprosy, as it starts to disfigure us. In biblical times, if you had leprosy, you had to stay away from other people. And if you somehow came around them, you had to call out the words unclean to warn others that you were around and today we use that, that word unclean as a synonym, as another word for sinful. Naaman needed to be healed. And at that time, there was no treatment for leprosy. Leprosy ultimately was a death sentence. Sin today is a death sentence. Sin has always been its own death sentence. In Romans 6.23, Paul writes, for the wages of sin is death. Sin, just like leprosy, is a death sentence. So Naaman, Naaman needed healed of leprosy or else he will die we need healed of sin or else we die. We die the second death, right? An eternity away from Jesus Christ. What's amazing about this is, is that 900 years before the time of Christ, God has beautifully foreshadowed this healing. Naaman comes to Elijah just like we come to God. He is sick and unclean and sentenced to death, and we are sick and unclean and sentenced to death. Elisha tells Naaman to wash in the Jordan River. That's the same river where 900 years later, John the Baptist will baptize Jesus Christ. And this was all written. This book was written before the time of Christ. And this book was written, presumably, for Jewish believers. It was not written, well, it was written for us as Christians, but, but it was written at that time for the, for the nation of Israel. So here's Naaman, right? He's asking to be healed, and he's disappointed. He's unhappy, and he almost leaves, because his idea of being healed, it just, it just didn't line up with God's idea of how he was going to heal him. Naaman wanted a grand but very clean and complication-free ceremony. He wanted Elisha to wave his hands and call on God, and he wanted to not get muddy. Um, he was suffering from pride. He didn't want to take orders. He wanted it done his way. He wanted God and Elisha to recognize his worth. And then Naaman got hung up on what actually brings about healing, on what was going to heal him. He said, are not the Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be healed? You know, Naaman's thinking about crystal clear waters. Um, in Florida, where, 
where uh, my mother-in-law uh, has a place. There are some great rivers down there. There's spring-fed, there's a silver springs. You can see to the bottom. You can watch the alligators around you. There's the Rainbow River, the same deal. You can see 10 feet down. You can see all the rocks in the bottom. That's what Naaman was thinking about. Elisha was thinking about a river a lot closer to the tusk, only with maybe just a few less cigarette bites. You know, something that you can't see, something that you don't really want to go in. Because Naaman misunderstood his healing. He thought somehow that it was a quality of the water or a quality of the river rather than the power of God that would heal him. He overcomplicated the issue. And this is a picture of our healing of sin. This is a picture of our cleansing. This is a picture of how we are forever forgiven through a walk with Christ. We come to God with a death sentence. We come to God, every single one of us, as sinners. And instead of telling us to, uh, to take a bath in the Jordan, God tells us that we have to accept Christ as who he is, which is the Son of God who died on the cross for us. And we have to accept that death on the cross. And we have to accept even more that that death is ultimately and in, in perfectly sufficient to heal us. The, uh, I think the best and most efficient, precise example of this is Acts 16.30. Paul and Silas were put in prison in Philippi for preaching the gospel. And that night in prison... God sent an earthquake and it opened the doors of the jail cells and it broke the shackles off of their arms. And the Philippian jailer realized at that minute that that was a miracle that was brought about only by the God of Paul and Silas. And he came to them and said, what must I do to be saved? Meaning, what must I do to be healed? What must I do to be forgiven of sin? And what must I do to be cleaned, to be cleansed? And the response was simply, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And I would really like to say that after that, um, the jailer also needed to be baptized because that would put a nice bow on the metaphor. But baptism is simply a step in obedience. It's, it's not what saves us. It's not what starts the journey. Paul's words were, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Just like Naaman thought, this too seems, it just seems too simple, right? Um, how can simply believing cover over a lifetime of sin, a lifetime of sin against God? How can belief heal us? And the answer is, is, the answer is, it is it's not up to us. Uh, we can't do anything to earn it, and sometimes we try. And I guess that's, that was my, my biggest takeaway from this, is we try. We try to do it on ourselves. We try to, we look at, at the Aban and the Farpar, right? We, we do works. We try to be kind to others. We try to be grateful um, we try to be generous. We try to clean ourselves up. We try, we try to improve our language. We try to stop whatever our, our, our bad habits are, whether that, whether that be something like we try, we try to stop drinking as much. We try to stop using, you try to stop using bad language. You try to stop carousing. But the truth is that none of this can help us any more than the Abana and the Farpar could cleanse Naaman. It's pointless because Jesus Christ paid our debt with his death on the cross. Naaman couldn't do anything to heal himself, and we can't do anything to forgive ourselves. That's about what Jesus did on the cross. For Naaman, uh, as for us, it boils down to simply accepting God's healing. Naaman brought millions of dollars in gold and silver and clothing, and he didn't need any of it. All he had to do was follow the words and bathe in the river. And we come to God today for healing, uh, sometimes bringing things that we think will help bringing offering or good works. And all we need is what Paul said there is belief. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then it goes on in verses 15 through 16. 
Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. The prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. Naaman goes back to Elijah and he says, Behold, I know there's no God in all the earth but in Israel. So now accept a present from yourself. There was a conversion. There was an absolute religious conversion. The pagan general who went down to the Jordan was replaced with a man who now believed in God. There was also a change in Naaman's heart. If you look at the language, Naaman says, accept now a present from your servant, and then please let there be given to your servant. Naaman went from a proud, powerful man to a servant. He went from a man who has servants, who has slaves, to a man who recognizes himself as a servant. His physical condition was healed, and his spiritual need had been met, and now his heart is changed. And then Naaman offers payment, which Elisha refuses. And uh, why, does, why does Elisha refuse payment? It's because his healing was a gift. And a gift given in exchange for a gift is not a gift, it's a transaction. This was about grace, as in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, where it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one may, go, may boast. Naaman can't give anything for his healing, either before or after, and it's, it goes the same for us. Naaman then requests two mule loads of earth to take back with him to Aram, which is um, which seems odd, but it, it's part of the ancient, ancient religious traditions where people thought that gods were tied to the land. They thought at the time that the reason that Israel could have its own god and Aram could have its own god is because those were gods of the land. And so, and so Naaman, even though he now follows God, he recognizes who God is, he has, he has leftovers from his past. He has previous biases. He thinks that he needs to bring dirt from Israel with him back to Aram so that he can properly worship God. And that is, that's the way it is with us today because when we start this walk with Christ, when we first accept Christ, we are not immediately mature. Paul calls us uh, infants in Christ, right? We, we just, we have to grow. We still have things to learn just like Naaman did. And we grow through studying God's word. Uh, we grow through prayer and we grow through fellowship with, with, with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And as a quick plug that is what Thursdays, the small groups that Pastor Tyler's been talking about, that's what we'll be doing Thursdays. So I really, I really think that for our growth as Christians, we should do our best to get to that. And then in verses 18 through 19, it goes on. But may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master enters the temple of Ramon to bow down, and he is leaning on my arm, and I have to bow there also. When I bow down in the temple of Ramon, May the Lord forgive your servant for this. Go in peace, Elisha said. So Naaman concludes, concludes this whole section by, by saying to Elisha, in this manner may the Lord pardon your servant. He knows that it's wrong that when he goes back to Aram that he is going to go into the temple of Ramon with, with the king. Uh, he knows that's wrong. And I thought it was, it's, it's fascinating to me that Elisha's answer is go in peace because that is, uh, that's pretty vague. Right? Elisha doesn't say you can't do that. Elisha doesn't say don't do that. And Elisha also doesn't say that's okay. God's going to understand. 
He says, go in peace. And I think, I think what that's saying to us is the obvious, that that's, God's not done with Naaman. The story of Naaman here in the Bible is finished, but, but the, the walk that Naaman has with God is really just beginning. Um, again, that's the way it is with us. And, and when, a, when a new believer comes to Christ, sometimes I worry. Sometimes I worry about all that we put on them. You know, Pastor Tyler's talked about that. They're, when people come to us, they have, life, they have life issues. We all do because we come here as sinners. And I was saying before, um, we don't clean ourselves. There's nothing we do to earn Christ's love. There's nothing that we do to earn salvation. And the, the condition that we are in when we come to Christ is, what we, is the condition we are still in. And the day that we accept Christ is the beginning of this journey. But the thing is, is those is people who come to Christ, they go back to the same house that they came from. They go back they go back to the same lives. They now have a walk with Christ. They have the Holy Spirit with them to help them. But we, as the family of Christ, have to love them, have to instruct them, and have to guide them through this walk. There is a spiritual healing that happens the day that you begin your walk with Christ. I still remember when I was eight years old in Sunday school at Calvary Baptist Church when that started. I remember that day, but I can tell you, it was years and years and years before I even had a clue of what a walk with Christ meant. We have to remember that with our Christian brothers and sisters that start this walk. We have to have grace, just like we have grace with, our, with the rest of the world. And then finally, going back for one closing thought, and I just think, because I, I've missed this so many times, and the idea is, who's the hero of the story of Naaman? Who's the protagonist, maybe? Who's the hero? Because it wasn't Naaman. Naaman was the benefactor, well, was the, was the, was the, uh, beneficiary. He was a recipient of healing and grace. And it wasn't Elisha, because Elisha barely got out of his chair for this. The hero was a servant girl, the slave girl. She was a girl kidnapped from her home, living as a slave. She reminds us of Joseph, who was, who was sold into slavery in Egypt, uh, a man who, despite all the horrible things that happened to him, he shined. He shone as, as a light for God while still working as a slave. She could have chosen bitterness. She could have absolutely reveled in the misery and ultimate death of her master, and instead she chose love. Her words, if only my master would see the prophet who was in Samaria, he would cure him of leprosy. I mean, if only my master. It seems a little dramatic, but but they seem genuine. Like she really cared. She really wanted this man who had ruined her life to be healed. We have the same calling. We have the calling to bring the good news, the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel, to the world around us. If the servant girl in a life that was devastated still cared enough to bear witness to a prophet in Israel, can't we do the same? And I, I hope that none of us have, have had a deal with the kind of devastation that this girl has had to deal with. Because the truth is the story of Naaman has two target populations. And the first group is people who already follow Christ, right? Like most of us. Uh, just like the servant girl, we are called to point others to Christ. We are called to be a light to the world, even when our lives aren't turning out to be what we expected or what we hoped for. The second group are those who, like Naaman, they just, they don't have a relationship with Christ yet. Um, if you're in this group, just like Naaman, you need to be healed, you need to be cleansed. And, and to those folks, the messages are very clear. Believe in Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. There's absolutely no need to clean yourself up, no need to put things in order 
simply believe. And that's when the journey starts. And if you find yourself in that, 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 that status, that place this morning, asking yourself if, if it's the right time to begin a, a walk with Christ, I encourage you, ask someone. Reach out. Reach out to me. Reach out to Pastor Tyler. Reach out to someone on the leadership team. Reach out to someone that you know that is already a follower of Christ. And please, please do it. Do it soon. Thanks for tuning in to the LifeBridge podcast. For more information about our church, please visit lifebridgedover.org. There you'll be able to find out more about the church community, our ministries, ways to get involved, recommended resources, and to give. Be sure to subscribe to receive new episodes directly into your podcast feed. Well, we are glad that you're checking out our podcast feed. We believe that the New Testament teaches that church worship is to be experienced weekly in person within your local church community. Thus, we encourage you to either join us in person for Sunday morning worship or to find and commit to a local gospel-centered church community in your neighborhood. Thanks.